Man, it is wonderful to worship with you. I just, I appreciate you guys spending the time to, to point our thoughts towards our good God. Thank you for that time. Uh, I don't know, if you think about all of the people that tirelessly make sure that all of this thing works so wonderfully. Uh, I think of the guys back at the sound booth. Have you noticed nobody ever looks at the sound booth until something goes wrong? So you ought to look at the sound booth. Give thanks for Brad and Nee. Yeah. But this is, this is a, a part of being a, a family that is together uh, pointing ourselves towards a good God. Uh, my name's Keith Hubbard. I'm a, a professor over at SFA. I've been a part of this family here at Grace for 14 years. Um, and uh, Pastor Brent has taken us through now 11 weeks of Psalm 119. We'll be there again today if you want to start flipping there. But uh, he's taken a much-deserved break to travel to be with family. And so I get uh, the wonderful privilege of opening God's timeless word with you. And uh, thank you for being here. So to me, you know, I mean, one of the amazing things about having a guy like Brent who has put in years of his life to get his Master of Divinity, to get a doctorate of ministry, is, you know, he, he comes with such depth, you know, years of studying the languages that this was originally written in, originally written in Hebrew. Uh, but, but maybe there's some use in every now and again having somebody like me, who, like most of you, I don't have any, any degrees in Hebrew, right? And yet, I come to God's Word wanting to meet with God, wanting to understand, and just sort of looking practically at how, how do we open God's Word and, and meet with the Lord and understand what it says, this thing that was written almost 3,000 years ago. And so I'd say, the first thing you want to do is understand the context, maybe with anything you're reading. You know, what is this? And so we're jumping in, we're going to jump in in verse 89, but let's just talk about the psalm as a whole for a moment. So I actually ask for all of the, all of the titles of the sermons that Brent has preached so far, just so we can sort of remember, this wasn't really designed to be a standalone, it was designed to be read with, with the part that the psalmist had written before in mind. So Remember, you know, the psalm starts with this blessing. Oh, oh, what a blessing it is to have an undivided heart. And I don't know, uh, I looked up one line from that part. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. And the psalmist is saying, this, this is a life of blessing, of flourishing. And then uh, Brent spent a week talking about the pilgrim's way. There's a line that says, I am a sojourner on the earth. Do you recognize that there's, there's a journey to make in knowing God's word, in knowing God, in learning to love God's word? And uh, you notice this theme time and, a time, time and time again with a taste of dust. And we even had it last week um, when we heard about the times that things are hard, the times that uh, really you feel stretched, and the psalmist is showing us how to respond to the Lord in those times. And I think just for the last bit of context, let me read to you the last verse of the, the previous section. It's verse 88. 
The psalmist says, your steadfast love, give me, in your steadfast love, give me life, that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. And I think that word, steadfast love, some of you might recognize it if you've, if you've been around church circles for a while. The word is hesed, which I'm probably pronouncing wrong because I don't have a seminary degree. But it's a really important word. It's God's love. Um, the NIV translates it unfailing love. Um, if you remember Pastor Jeremiah Bitron, his firstborn was actually named this word, hesed. It's a really, really significant word talking about how the Lord envelops us with his love, but it's not, it's not a flighty love. It's a love that is sustaining, steadfast, unfailing, the steady love. You know, that word comes up seven times in this psalm. Seven times, again and again, the psalmist is saying, I, I love your word, I love your law, but it's because of your steadfast love. And I, I thought, you know, just as far as context, also, you know, if I'm looking at something and trying to understand what's important, you might just, I mean, it's hard to, to look at 160 some odd verses and say, okay, these, these are the really key things. And so you have sort of basic tools. One is you can say, well, what comes up again and again? So being a child of the 21st century, what do I do? I do a word frequency count, right? That's what, that's what everybody does, right? So I copied and pasted it into a word frequency count. You want to guess what the, maybe the top four words are? Well, here they are. I think. I hope. <clears throat> maybe. This is the suspense, the drum roll. Okay, there, there are four words that are most frequent in the psalm. Oh, I, I'm, I don't, maybe this isn't showing up on the slide. Anyway, let me tell them to you. Um, they are your... I, me, and my. So I was a little surprised by that. So what's that say? That says, first and foremost, this is a personal psalm. This is a communication between the psalmist and God. More than anything else, this is the psalmist modeling to us how you're interacting with God. Um, and I think that's why it's particularly fitting. Remember, one of the exhortations Brent gave us here is to try to pray through each piece. So hopefully, um, and I haven't hit every week, but the weeks that I've been able to pray through the chunks of Scripture, it's been really edifying. Uh, this is made to be spoken to God and to respond to God. Uh, I don't know if you get the week-to-week -week email, but this last week, Stephen, our, our worship pastor, actually prepared a video, if, if that's something new to you, sort of how do I go about praying a piece of scripture? Uh, he actually created a, a YouTube video that's just sort of like, you know, a quick primer. And even if you've done it before, it might be fun to see how somebody else articulates that. This is a prayer. And it's a prayer about God's word. Um, the High on that list of frequency are the words statutes, decrees, commands, precepts. This is about God's word and the goodness of God's word. And uh, how the psalmist responds to that. And I don't know if you've, you've thought about that, but um, 
when when you talk about laws, you know, so this week I was I was at a professional conference. I'm with six or seven thousand uh, other professors and teachers and such. And if I told them, man, I really delight in the law. I really delight in God's law. Probably most of my secular friends would say, ah, oh. That's a little odd. Because this is what they might be thinking of. They might be thinking about a picture like something like this. Oh, you you like the laws, huh? You you know, you really like that no parking this way to the end of the block? Uh, you know, they might see utility in a one-way sign, but it's sort of like you love it? Oh, ho, ho, I'm going to go kiss that sign. No, I mean, so it's sort of like laws. I mean, they might be useful. Some of them, you, you might say, ah, it's so diabolical. They have no parking eight to five to keep me from parking where I want to park or whatever. And so you've got to think about, this is maybe really unusual that we would be saying, man, I delight in, in somebody telling me what to do. Most people don't do that, right? Um, and so I, it started me sort of thinking, just as far as the context, why, why would you want somebody to tell you what to do? Please tell me what to do. Well, to me, the first thing is if I don't know everything already. So the first thing that you would have to have to have a want of any rules, of any direction, of anything, is I would need to not be perfect myself. Check. I've taken care of that box. Hope you have too, right? I, uh, you know, but there has to be some sense of I am not entirely self-sufficient. Next check mark for me would be the person who's sort of giving this direction has to know more than me. So if you think about sort of the people that hand down the laws, maybe, you know, judges, um, those, that's the Supreme Court, in case you, you're not like on a first name basis with all of them, right? I mean, they've got, they've got degrees, they've been appointed, uh, or maybe, maybe professors, particularly if they have equations behind them, they're very trustworthy. Yeah. Um, or, or maybe your teacher, you know, because another aspect is they, they have to not just know more than you, they actually have to sort of have your good in mind, right? You could have some, like, diabolical genius and you don't want them writing your laws, right? They have to have your good in mind. In fact, and I realize it's, it's maybe even more than that. The more I have the, a relationship with somebody, the more I would tend to trust them, you know? If somebody who was, who was very smart said, I saw... I saw a UFO, I would say, ah, you've gone nuts. If it's somebody in my family, I'd know they were nuts, but I might be more prone to trust them, right? Um, there's something about relationship that actually makes you more prone to listen to someone. And so we're going to look at that as we go through this, this psalm. We're going to look at the fact that the psalmist is sort of unpacking why he believes God. That's why I've titled this, Who Do You Believe? Because honestly, an unexamined life can end up trusting people that are thoroughly untrustworthy. You know that um, they, advertising is a multi-billion dollar business, and they've established definitively that people tend to trust beautiful people more than ugly people. So, you know, um, <clears throat> Guy, I have no idea what's in that bottle, but <laughs> she sure looks good. <laughs> I guess I'm going to drink it. You know, I mean, it makes no sense, right? And yet this seems to be what, what we use for what you should do. You know, this, this chemical that has names that I can't even pronounce in it, I'm going to slap it on my face because his face sure looks nice. You know, <laughs> but, but this, is, this is actually the irony of where we tend to get 
the things that we believe. And without a close examination, it's a little scary to think the things that you tend to believe, the things that our culture can encourage us to believe, uh, can be based on things that are laughable, frankly. Okay, so enough buildup. Let's, let's get to the good part. Um, will you uh, follow along either on the screen or you can follow along on page 514 if you're using the Pewback Bible as we read this section. It's called Lamed, Greek letter Lamed, uh, starting in verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand to this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Amen. So the bulk of the time we get together, I want to do just the most basic thing. I want to go verse by verse through, and I'd encourage you, um, I think if there is a lack in our study of God's Word, it's not that you need five more commentaries. It's that our culture is so rushed, and often we don't pause on this very living Word of God and allow it to sink in, just what it's saying. Um, as a general rule, I'd say you ought to read it five times before you go to anybody else talking about it. Because ultimately, God's Word is meant to teach us about the author, right? Wouldn't it be a shame if you read a love letter and you never thought about the person who'd written the letter, right? We, our goal, in fact, uh, Jesus accuses the Pharisees. He says, you diligently study the scriptures. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, and yet you refuse to come to me and have life. Let us not be found guilty of that. Our job is to know the God of the scriptures, and we're going to do that best with the scripture. So let's Let's do that. Let's look at verse 89. We're just going to go verse by verse, and we're going to spend some time to think, what is it saying? Oh, I forgot. Got to use the Bible. I've got my summary up there, but, but I want to read the verse. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. So can you see that the psalmist is starting, he's saying, your word lasts. It's forever. It's firmly fixed, right? So, you know, those traffic signs aren't going to be there in 50 years, right? Uh, that, that teaching, um, you know, they're going to have a different way of teaching things in 20 years. Uh, there are so many things, and you could say, wow, this, this might be fine, but it's, it's going to change. And yet, we're studying today something that's almost 3,000 years old, right? And it is as true today as it was then. It's forever. This is expressing God's truth. But it's not just that it lasts. 
Can you see that it says it's fixed in the heavens? What's, why is that? Why does it say it's fixed in the heavens? Well, the heavens in the Bible are a picture of a higher perspective, a different perspective. Uh, maybe, in fact, I'm just going to say right now my favorite chapter in the Bible is Isaiah 55. Ask me, ask me next year and it might be different. But there's this, it's, it's amazing if you're looking for some Sunday afternoon reading. It says, God is speaking to his people as he, and he says, as, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And just, just because context is important, he's actually talking about the, our tendency to not forgive, to not want people that are far from God to come back. But he's saying, my way is to invite everybody. I want everybody to know my love, to come to my word and to have life. But his perspective is so much higher. I mean, I don't know if you've thought about this, like on a freeway, right? You're trying to figure out distances, and is that truck just really big, or is that actually really close in my rearview mirror? Versus, think about looking from above, how much clearer this perspective is above. Why is it that every football coach, right, has some place they can get up above so they can look at the play? And this is what the psalmist is saying is so good about God's word. This is why he can trust God's word. But he goes on in verse 90. Your faithfulness, God, endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. So why, why is God's word so dependable? Why is it so good from a higher perspective? Well, it's from a higher perspective, quite frankly, because God is from a higher perspective. Because God has faithfully made all things, and he sustains all things. I mean, think about this. So, it's summer, we're supposed to dream, right? Let's say you and me get Ferraris, right? We're firmly in the ground of dreaming now. And it's got all these, do they have the 2020 Ferraris out? I don't know. Let's... As long as we're dreaming, let's say we, you and I get the, the, the first two 2020 Ferraris, and there are lots and bells of, lots of bells and whistles on this. And there are lots of knobs, but, but they're actually, frankly, there are so many knobs, we get a little confused. And so I'm, I'm in my Ferrari, and I, I'm not quite sure how to use it, right? That's the first, the first step to not know, needing direction, right, is you're, you're sort of inadequate. Who are you going to ask? Hey, there's genericcarinstructions.com. You think that's a good plan? No, maybe you go to the designer, right? Maybe the engineers that designed it wrote a manual, right? Why should we pay attention to God's word? Well, first and foremost, he made you. He understands what brings life to your soul. He understands what can rot your soul, what can make you seethe with jealousy or dissatisfaction, although you have everything you need. But it's not just like that. God is the better, higher engineer. He didn't just design it and now he's on some other continent somewhere. God is the sustainer of all things. God is near us. In fact, he gave Jesus the name God with us, Emmanuel, to communicate, I want to be with you. I didn't just make you. I don't just understand you better than anything else. I also am with you. I see what you're going through, and I can see around the corner. But there's one last word that I think is so pivotal here. God doesn't just do this 
because he ought to, because he's powerful. God does this because he's faithful, because he cares for us, because he loves us. Um, I'm so proud that the bulletin has a double underline there. That's for faithful. So I, I emailed Holly. By the way, as long as we're giving shout-outs to people, you know, those, those folks in the office that work behind the scenes to make everything work, you know, somebody has to make sure that week-to-week -week email gets sent. Somebody has to make sure that all of this stuff works together. And it is such a blessing to have folks that really have dedicated a large part of their lives to allowing us to, to worship, to, to focus on the Lord without distraction. And on top of it, Holly knows how to do double underline. So anyway, faithfully. Um, God's faithfulness is the thing that the psalmist just can't get over. He is so faithful. I, you should think about this. Um, God's faithfulness doesn't just depend on what's popular at the moment. Uh, he picked a people 4,000 years ago. He picked the Jews. Right now they make up one half of 1% of the world's population. I think they're arguably, arguably over the last 4,000 years the most persecuted people group ever. You know, more people have tried to kill Jews, eradicate Jews, probably than any other people group in more, on more continents. And yet he has been faithful to his people. He continues to draw his people. And, uh, you know, just, just pulling one stat out of many, you know, that those of Jewish descent have more Nobel Prizes than any other ethnicity. God has been faithful to his people. When God chooses a people, and you know who he's choos chosen, beloved? He's chosen us. If you are called by the name Christian, he has been faithful to his people. And that doesn't depend on who's, who's sitting on the Supreme Court. That doesn't depend on what's popular. And I think one of the sort of the fibs that we, we sort of inadvertently buy is, well, yeah, church, you know, somehow it, it, people become Christian because it's better for business or, you know, they go to church because you need to be seen there. Well, I looked up the 10 countries where Christianity is growing fastest today. And um, I want you to ask yourself, is this the list of the places where, you know, the Better Bureau, Business Bureau sort of encourages Christianity? Here it is. Nepal, China, United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia. There's a place that they really just sort of encourage. Yeah, go to church. Um, Qatar, Oman, Yemen, Mongolia, Cambodia, Bahrain. Is that because of cultural pressure? Or is that because our God is faithful? And he doesn't need, and it's a blessing to have this sanctuary. It's a blessing to have people that are paid full-time to help us worship well. But God does not need those things. God is faithful, and God shows up big, frankly, often when we are most desperate, when we need it most. He is faithful. He has been faithful. He will be faithful. And that is why we can trust his loving instruction. God's law, God's instruction to us is his expression of what will let us flourish, what will let us live the blessed life. So let's move on. Uh, verse 91, by your appointment, they, that's his law, your law stand to this day, for all things are your servants. If that weren't good enough, if it weren't good enough that God makes all things, 
everything obeys God. All things obey God, right? I mean, so think about this. And this is, this is a large part of the reason I encourage people to be cautious about what, uh, what movies you watch, what uh, TV series, what books. Because the author plays God, right? I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but if you believe, you know, basically the old generation are idiots, and the new generation needs to defy them and find their own way, and, and pretty soon um, the, the older generation will get it and you're an author, you're going to work out your plot so that that's the thing that's glorified. That's the thing that works out well. Um, if you believe that uh, humility and forgiveness is the way to human flourishing, that's the thing that's going to work out well in your plot. And so you need to recognize very clearly what the worldview of the author of the things you're consuming are. The thing is, they don't get to write life. It doesn't work out that way in life. God writes life. All things obey him. And so, if you want to know what's going to work out well, you probably ought to listen to the author, the one who all things obey. Looking at that next verse, um, actually, I'm looking at my notes and realizing I had one one other piece there. I just wanted to share a personal anecdote. Uh, probably the piece of scripture that the Lord has brought back to my mind, the Spirit has sort of brought into my head at inconvenient times the most, is from Romans 12. At the end of Romans 12, Paul writes, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. He talks about not repaying anyone evil for evil. This is God's law. This is God's instruction. And the thing is, I don't like this instruction a lot of times. Somebody sort of gets me, and you know what? I want to get them back. You know, somebody cuts me off, and I kind of like to get back and cut them off. Or someone's rude, or someone's disrespectful. And what the Lord's law says is do not repay anyone evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. That's the way the Lord set up the world to work. And you can do the opposite. You can break the Lord's laws, but it's not going to work out well. And I think the beauty of God's word and the beauty of knowing God's word is that the Holy Spirit will bring to mind the right part of God's word if you've been faithful in Absorbing it, exposing yourself to God's living, breathing word. So that's really what we're going for. Let's move on to verse uh, 92. I'm going to read the next two verses. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. So the psalmist is saying, I get life from your, from your word. I'd perish apart from your word. God's law preserves our lives. That's what it's intended to do. But it's slightly more than that. Look, if I had not, if your law had not been my delight. So, I think we're called to something more than, ah, oh, I won't repay anyone evil for evil. Guy, I'd like to. You know, oh, I'm, I'm supposed to give as the Lord has given given to me. Ah, 
Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, if you're a parent and, <laughs> and your kid begrudgingly stays out of the street and out of, out of in front of that semi, right? That's better than disobedience, right? God's law is good even if you do it begrudgingly. Because, I mean, it's, it's accurate. But wouldn't you as a parent so much more like your kid to not, like, shake their fist, okay, I'll stay out of the street, but I, you're sure mean, you're sure depriving me. That's not the place we're supposed to rest. The place that we're supposed to rest is exactly here. It's really delighting in God's word, right? That's what it says here. It says, if your law had not been my delight. That's what we're invited into is actually not just obeying because we have to, because God's powerful, but actually believing that God is good. Actually believing that God is faithful. And I want to ask you, are there times you say, I feel like perishing in my affliction? That's the line the psalmist used. Are there times you say, I just don't know how much longer I can go on living with this person, you know, dealing with this situation? Are you choosing to delight in the Lord's laws? Are you, are you willfully, this is, this is an act of will, to delight, to trust that God's way is good. Um, and it's something we have an opportunity to exercise in. I think it's something that, frankly, sometimes I delight in other things, and I should be delighting in God's word. Look at the psalmist's response. Because he delights in God's word, because he finds life in God's word, he says in verse 94, I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. I am yours. The only right response to seeing a good loving, steadfast God is to give ourselves to him. To say, I am yours. To trust him. You know, that's the funny thing about um, about law. The point of God's law is not to have us focus on the law. And unfortunately, I think Christians have a, a, a bad name sometimes for getting the law, saying this law is so good, and almost loving the law. And I would argue that this psalm is about loving the God, the good giver of the law, more than the law itself. That the law is intended to teach us to trust the giver of the law, and many times I think we don't do a very good job of communicating that to, to secular friends who, who say, you know, what, what is this restriction? I don't, I don't understand the restriction. Ah, but if you knew our good God, if you knew his faithfulness, if you knew his kindness, and a part of that is our example of giving ourselves, you know, unreservedly to a good, good God. The, the psalmist here, as, as we talked about in numerous passages, is in a hard spot. He says in verse 95, The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. The dangers are real. He's saying, I recognize I am in an unsafe situation. But recognize 
this world is about spiritual conflict. Paul says it this way in, uh, what is it, Ephesians 6. He says, for our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our struggle, your struggle, my struggle, is not against that person who drives you nuts in your family. It's not about that coworker who's, you know, I don't know whether it's insubordinate or incompetent. Our struggle is against allowing that offense, allowing that lack of trust to creep inside. We have an enemy. And that enemy has been about the same business since day one. The beginning of Genesis, you hear about the enemy. And what's he doing? First time, he's whispering to Eve, is God really good? Aren't his laws a little restrictive? Is he holding out on you? This has been the battle since the beginning. Who are you going to believe? Now, oh, that Eve had chosen, oh, that Adam had chosen to remember to delight in God's instruction, to remember God's faithfulness. But man, I'm well fed. I'm clothed, um, not with things to hide, but with God's love, with community, with protection. But it's so easy to believe the voice that says, God's holding out on you even when everything reasonable argues to the contrary. And let's go to that final verse that we get to talk to today. The psalmist says, I'm trusting God even when evil things lie in wait. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Other sources of direction have limits, right? We talked about those street signs aren't going to be there in 50 years. You know, and sometimes they don't apply. You know, when it's 4.55 and there's no parking till 5 o'clock and nobody around, eh, I don't know, right? I mean, uh, sure, you should follow the tax code, but it has limits. All of those things, all of those human creations of instructions, but always believe your professors, right? They, yeah, <laughs> never, never doubt them, right? No. Uh, probably they'll be teaching us something different in 20 years, right? Um, but God's law is timeless, right? It lasts. It's from a higher perspective. God is so good. God is so faithful because he loves us, because he's made things. It is the one limitless source of truth. And that's what the psalmist is calling us to. And so as we sort of get to wrapping up, I want to ask you, what what sources of truth do you and I find ourselves sort of leaking into without close examination? Is it, is it that billboard along the road? Uh, I don't know if you can read that. Joy, now in liquid form. You know, is it that fast food? You know, is it something? Yeah, joy? How pathetic a lie is that? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's joy for you. <laughs> um, <laughs> Right? And yet, somehow, uh, I don't think we mock that enough with our kids out loud. That's not joy, my friends. Joy is something that comes from within, from knowing that the author of life has chosen to call you by name, call you into life. Uh, 
It's not something to do with eating more or eating less. Diamonds are forever? No, that's, that's a slogan that the De Beers cartel came up with because they own the most of the diamonds, right? Uh, I don't know if you've had a geology class late, lately. Diamonds are not forever. They started, they'll end, and frankly, you're going to be dead and with that author of life far before the diamond dissolves, right? So even if it were forever, who really cares because you're not going to be here, right? These things are pathetic lies, and yet somehow we just sort of, we sort of take those. This is what sometimes I choose to believe. Or frankly, just personally, I think the most insidious things are those things that sort of I let in my head, those little voices. And so I just put, put a few here, um, and, and I suspect most of us, I ask a few friends, you know, if God would just do blank, then I'd be happy. God, you know, oh, if I could be married, if I could just get out of this really awkward situation, if such and so, versus what the Lord tells us about happiness, versus finding delight in him. You know, the, David says, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Meditate on those words until you know them, till you've given the Holy Spirit an opportunity to bring those words back to mind. Brent gave us an interesting challenge. I think it was last week. He, he, he keeps piling on challenges, but he gave us this really interesting challenge. At some point, find a piece here that resonates with you and commit it to memory. And I'd, I'd say there's something about pieces of the Word of God that you've committed to memory that the Lord will use like nothing else in your life. The Holy Spirit can bring those words to your mind because you know them in really, really effective situations. What about this one? If I just had more free time, more me time. Any other parents of toddlers out there? You know, I, <laughs> and, and it's so tempting to say, oh, what I would find most restorative is just somehow time focused on me versus, you know, be still and know that I am God. Time focused on the Lord. What, what am I believing? If God would just work faster, is there something inside you? I know sometimes in me there's this peace that's tempted to not believe the Lord's timing, to not say God is not slow, as some people measure slowness, but patient, desiring that none would perish. God's timing is perfect, and I have to remind myself of that frequently, and my wife has to remind me of that frequently. Praise God for wives. Um, yeah, what about this, this one? I think it's really prevalent in our culture. God's definition of sexual intimacy is outdated, closed. I mean, on what authority? <laughs> the, the creator of humanity that sustains all things by his very word said it one way. Yeah, but th this guy over here feels different. I mean, what do you care? God made us and he loves us. And you might not see anything wrong with shacking up with your boyfriend or girlfriend. The Lord loves you. The Lord understands what's happening in your heart. The Lord understands the value of restraint when you don't feel like restraint. And this is why the word trust gets used over and over again with the Lord. If you understood all of the Lord's purposes beforehand, there would be no need for trust. 
We have to believe that the Lord's ways are right, that they're higher, that he can see more of the freeway than we can. And we have to believe that his word is good. He has certainly proven himself faithful. And then I just put at the bottom right, if I just had more, you know, a little more money, a little more house, a little more vacation. I don't know. There's something in us that's prone to, I think as the, as the hymn says, my heart is prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. We need to hang on to the goodness that is God. So as, as the worship team w- walks up, I want to just share two sort of next steps. In which area of my life do I most need to believe what God says? Do I need to believe God's word? I'm just going to give you 20 seconds for that Holy Spirit to speak. Where do I need to believe what God says? And even more fundamentally, what will I believe about God? Will I believe that he has been faithful? That he will be faithful? That his steadfast love endures forever? Will I decide to delight in him, even in times it would be easy not to delight? Will I encourage those around me to believe? Will I fill my life with sources that speak about God's goodness. Dear God, help us to believe the truth about you. Help us to know that you are good. Help us to live like it. Help us to encourage those around us to believe that you are good. You say your word will not return void, but will accomplish what you desire and achieve the purpose for which you sent it. We want that to happen with these words. Make them grow fruit in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would, even in this song of worship, that you would be training our hearts to to focus on you, to trust you, and to delight in you. We thank you and bless your name, Jesus. Amen.